We're about to see God major crash a party. And so let's pray together, and then we're going to get into Daniel chapter 5. These first six chapters are fun. It's the second six that are difficult, very prophetic. And so we're kind of headed up towards that. we got one more historical chapter next week, and then we're in prophecy, strong prophecy. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, that um, you are Lord of heaven and earth and sovereign over all. And I pray that you will open our eyes and ears to see and to hear what you, by the Spirit of God, put in Daniel chapter 5. Now, will you, everybody here tonight, just lift your hands and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to my heart. Change me and renew my mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I believe he heard that prayer. And here goes the clicker. Well, I think this is the worst week of summer. Today it was 104, and uh, I was cycling in it. I cycled in it. It's a real motivation because if you don't pedal, there's no breeze. (laughs) So you pedal, right? Okay. Uh, You know, fall cometh, and it'll be here soon enough. This is the day the Lord has made. So we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Now, Daniel 5 is really, really powerful. We're going to see that God, once again, is Lord of heaven and earth and sovereign over the nations of the world. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's not just something we say. He really is King of kings and Lord of lords. Put another way, he's the king over all other kings, and he's Lord of lords. Amen? Now, last time we saw how Due to his pride, it was pride that brought Nebuchadnezzar down. He lost his mind and was reduced to walking around on all fours, eating grass like a cow for seven years. I still can't get over that. But the Bible says it, so it's true. But what a life, right? What a life. A true vegan. Finally... His reason returned to him, and he emerged from his great trial with this confession. God does according to his will. He is sovereign over all things and is to be given the glory for all that we have. And and, and so he said, you know, this kingdom of Babylon didn't come from me. God gave it to me, and God gave you everything you have, your gifts, your abilities, the clothes on your back, wherever you're going to go tonight. God gave it to you. God gave it to you. I learned a long time ago, we don't really own anything. We're stewards over some things. But if you think you own it, just wait and watch and see how fast you can lose it. We're stewards. Amen? We're not owners of anything. He just kind of loans them to, the, to us. All right. Now, chapter 5 begins with Nebuchadnezzar having died and his grandson, Belshazzar, is ruling the kingdom of Babylon in his place. Now, your Bible is going to quote Daniel more than likely. I know the New King King James does. I'm sure the KJV does and most of the other translations. It's going to quote uh, Daniel later in the chapter, identifying Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father, that Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son. But the Hebrew word used is actually the word for descendant. And so Belshazzar, if you just track the records, 
is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And he's now ruling Babylon. Now, the Holy Spirit, in inspiring the Bible, decided to give us our first glimpse of Belshazzar in a way that tells us all we need to know about him. He's a party animal. How many of you used to be a party animal, but you've been delivered from that? All the rest of you are just lying, sitting out there lying, wearing your halo over your head. All right. But here's the deal. This Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is a party animal. And he is bad news. He's godless. He's sacrilegious. He's idolatrous. And he's a blasphemer. And chapter 5 opens with Belshazzar throwing a party. And it's a big one. Look at, look at verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for how many? A thousand. So this is a major party. thousand of his lords. Uh, so this is a thousand of the who's who's and the creme de la creme of the kingdom of this godless king. And they drank wine in the presence of the thousand. So this is a huge feast with over a thousand people in attendance. The atmosphere is one of drunken abandon. No worries. All is well. The attitude is let's party hardy. There's nothing to worry about. Oh, this is so, to me, this chapter is so ironic because these people don't know they're hours away from destruction. Okay? Now, for the record, this is the same reckless attitude of abandon uh, that we find in Noah's day before the flood. Remember Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And what did he say? They were eating and drinking. Now, that word drinking, he's referring to alcoholic drinking. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and, and the eating is, is the, carries the idea of gluttony. They were gluttonously eating and, and drinking alcohol. They were, they were doing business transactions. They were living... A hedonistic lifestyle. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So before the flood hit, this was their attitude. Let's just live with abandon. Let's live without restraint. Let's live without morals. Let's live the way we want to. Let's, let's live hedonistically. Let's live for pleasure. Forget God. Who's God? Forget God. We don't care about God. Jesus said the same thing about Lot. And as it was in the days of Lot, he tells us in Luke, as it was in the days of Lot, same thing. They were eating gluttonously, drinking alcohol, marrying, giving in marriage, doing business transactions, and then the fire fell, and no one expected it. Judgment fell in the middle of a party attitude, a party atmosphere. That's the idea. So I believe that's the attitude of America today. I believe America has lost all fear of God. America as a whole has no fear of God. And because we've got this attitude, let's eat gluttonously, let's drink, let's party hardy, forget about God, don't worry about scruples, don't worry about morals, do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. That's the philosophy of our day. We are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's America Come on. And if you think otherwise, I want to know what you're reading or, or, or what you're watching that's leading you to believe it's anything other than what I just said, because it's not. Our Supreme Court has totally departed from God, put its seal of approval on perversion. Our nation as a whole has walked away from 
all biblical teaching. And our attitude is the same as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, as it was the night of Belshazzar's judgment. So it is right now. So we see that judgment falls suddenly and God crashes the party. Belshazzar has no fear of God. He next displays an utter lack of respect for the things of God. It says in verse 2, while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from where, everybody? The temple, the holy temple. You've got to pay attention here. Where did he get these gold and silver vessels, drinking goblets and, and, and whatnot that were dedicated to God in the temple for temple use? For the use of God. What did he do? He had them taken out of Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and took all of those, the kingdom of Judah, captive into Babylon. They also raided the house of God, took all these gold and silver vessels, and brought them over into Babylon. Now, it's these vessels he's calling for, Belshazzar. And what does he want to do with them? That the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. He wanted to turn them into party vessels for drunkenness. Oh, man. This is really serious because he's not recognizing what is sacred. And I've talked to you about this. A couple of weeks ago, I remember telling you that one of the marks of a declining culture or a declining individual is you no longer discern between the sacred and the common. And you'll take what is sacred and use it for common usage. See, like for instance, your body is sacred to God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's why it's wrong for us to take our body and, and give it to what is common or what is sinful. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 12, one, present your body. A living what? Sacrifice. Holy unto God, which is your reasonable service in light of what God did for you through Jesus Christ. Okay? So our bodies are, are, are sacred and holy. But what is, how does our generation see the body? Use it whatever you want to use it for. You know, give your body over to sin, turn it over to sin, and, and, and whatever feels good, just do it and live for pleasure. All right. So here they are bringing the sacred and using it for a sinful use to get drunk. Then they brought the gold vessels, verse 3, that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank alcohol from them. Now the gold and the silver vessels he called for, as I said, had been taken from Solomon's temple, that beautiful, glorious temple that had been dedicated to God when the Jews were taken captive. They were sacred, set apart, sanctified, only for God's service. And Belshazzar's judgment is not only being affected by his lack of godly character, that he would do this. He's drinking, you know, everybody else is drinking. And have you noticed how people that keep drinking get more and more obnoxious, more and more stupid, more and more crazy? So as they're just throwing it back, all of a sudden he says, hey, go raid, go raid, the, go get the stuff that we got from the temple, those gold and silver goblets go get them let's use them to get drunk he's losing his reason let me tell you i believe partly because he was totally depraved anyway 
But also, pay attention now, watch this. Alcohol is deadening his discernment. Okay? It's blurring his ability to discern between the sacred and the common. And that's why every once in a while, I don't rail about it. I don't go on and on about it. But I will tell you, um, I don't like alcohol. I don't like what it does to people. I deal with it too much. I mean, I've dealt with so many. I can't tell you the number of precious people in our church that are fighting an addiction to it. Their first drink, they wanted to do it, but it got to the place where they had to do it. And it, and it, and it binds you. And the, here's the thing about it. With every sip you take, you lessen your ability to make good choices. Okay? How many people wake up every morning with great regret over what they did when they had one too many? He said, Jeff, what's too many? That's up to you. If you never drank another drop of alcohol, you'll never hurt for it. I'm just telling you. Uh, Does the Bible say you can't drink? I can't tell you that. The Bible doesn't say that you can't drink. But here's here's my deal. There's... uh, (laughs) They drank wine. They didn't have 120,000 proof stuff that, you know, a few sips and you're cross-eyed. You know, they didn't have that. So what I'm saying is, is that we're, we're looking here at a man who comes to his doom in the midst of drunkenness. And, and um, how many people does that happen to, right? How many people? Okay. So... Alcohol is blurring his ability. Ah, go get the goblets from the temple. Go get that. We don't care about what they were dedicated for. Let's get drunk with them. Watch. God was watching. Okay? And then he doesn't stop there. They bring these these treasured vessels that Solomon had dedicated to God. They bring them, they fill them up with wine, they start drinking the wine with them. But he doesn't stop there. Look what it says in verse 4. They drank wine and they went and they committed idolatry and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. They start bowing down to things that can't hear, see, talk, guide, help, deliver, heal, nothing. It's stupid. They're stuck on stupid. The more they drink, the stupider they get. So on top of the sacrilege, now they're committing idolatry. As if a drunken orgy mixed with desecration of what is sacred weren't enough. Now they openly break forth in praise of useless idols. Drunkenness, desecration of sacred things, and brazen worship of false gods proved to be the final straw with Almighty God. They had no clue that Almighty God was watching. And as he did these three things, this king and all all that were there at the party, as they all partook of this, there was a God who was watching, and a line was crossed. And they didn't know any line had been crossed. And I've often talked about this line. Somebody, an individual can cross a line, or a nation can cross a line. And when they cross that line, usually the people that cross it have no clue because they're so drunken sin, but, but they cross it. I personally believe that America has crossed that line. I do. And I believe that America is under judgment right now, and I believe that severe judgments are coming for this land. I do. Or the Bible is a liar. I'm not a prophet, but I'm a Bible student. And I read my Bible, and you can't read your Bible 
and not know that America is under judgment and is going to experience severe judgments because we're not just walking in, in brazen sin. We are holding our fist up to God and double-dog daring him to judge us. And our God will take you up on it when you cross that line. They crossed a line. And God saw it. Now look what happened in verse 5. In the same hour, oh, wow, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Can you imagine? He's thinking, what did I drink? What was in that wine? Because I'm seeing fingers writing on a plaster wall. God's about to crash the party. And the king saw it. And the lampstand mentioned here, notice, I'm going back to it, if, if it will, let, let me see, there we go. Notice it says, opposite the lampstand. The lampstand mentioned here may have also been something taken from the temple when Jerusalem fell. And that way the handwriting on the wall directly behind the lampstand would connect the message of judgment that the hand was writing with the sacrilege of the vessels. Okay. Notice that nothing is visible in the divine manifestation but fingers. There's no palm. There's no arm. Only the fingers of a hand. You remember The Invisible Man? Everybody watched that movie, The Invisible Man? That takes me back. It's in black and white, I think. But I remember thinking that was so cool. This guy walked around all bandaged up. When he took the bandages off, he wasn't there. Now, can you imagine taking all the bandages off and only leaving fingers? There's just fingers, and they're up there writing slowly on the wall. I wouldn't take another sip. It's time to put this down. You talk about a party stopper. Everybody say God knows how to crash a sinful party. Oh, yes, he does. Now, verse 6, then the king's countenance changed. I think so. And his thoughts troubled him. They ought to. So I love this. The joints of his hips were loosened and his knees start knocking against each other. He's, he's got knee knocking. He's, he, his knees are knocking. He, he's about to collapse on the floor over this sight because not only does he see it, they all see it. It got real quiet. Belshazzar is justifiably terrified. When God's judgment falls, folks, it's always terrifying. It's always unnerving, and you know what? It's never expected. Noah's generation didn't expect it. Lot's generation didn't expect it. And Belshazzar didn't expect it. And Jesus said our world would not be expecting his return. It'll be sudden. So suddenly, these fingers appeared. Now look at verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, who does this remind you of? His grandfather, right? Whoever re He said in verse 7, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So here we go again. Belshazzar has learned nothing 
from his grandfather's experience with fraudulent occultists. Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he called for the same group, the same motley crew, and they could not interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and now they can't interpret the handwriting on the wall. They're clueless because they're frauds. And as before, they cannot help. Now all the king's wise men, verse 8, came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, just like Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, once again. His countenance was changed. His lords were all astonished. Isn't it interesting how twice with Nebuchadnezzar and once with his grandson Belshazzar, God uses a means of communication, two dreams and the handwriting on the wall that required Daniel to be brought to the forefront. It's like it takes a crisis to bring the real man of God to the fore. And so here comes Daniel again. But what we're about to see is that Belshazzar knew nothing about the wisest man in his entire kingdom. And that ought to tell you a lot about Belshazzar. He knew all the astrologers. He knew all the Chaldeans, all the soothsayers, all the magicians. He knew all the occultists. But the wisest man on the planet and the wisest man in Babylon, he didn't know a thing about him. His queen had to tell him, hey, dear. Look what it says. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. She hadn't been in this mess. She shows up now. She's probably the only sober one. And the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever, yada, 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 right? Don't let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is what, everybody? Read it with me. The spirit of the holy God. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. There's a man in your kingdom that has the Holy Ghost, that has the Holy Spirit. And in the days of your father your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. How did he not know this? How did he not know this? Makes me nuts. I wonder about these kings. But he knew all the magicians that Daniel was over, but he didn't know about Daniel. Isn't it funny how the devil can keep you from the answer? It's like you can be in a nation that knows so many things but doesn't know Jesus. They don't know anything about Jesus. Jesus? What Jesus? Who's Jesus? What did he say? You know, our nation is amazingly ignorant of Jesus. I was in a store recently, and I was waiting for something. And I got to talking to this little lady there who was this, this elder Jewish woman. And we were talking, and I told her I was a pastor. And every time you say that, it, it shuts them down. You can see them go, uh-oh, on the inside. I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, oh, how nice. But inside, I can see her thinking, the exit door is where? And, and so we talked, and then I quoted Jesus. I quoted Jesus to her. And you know what she said to me? She said, did he really say that? Seriously. And it was, I think I said something like, you know, he said, um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Something like that. Something very commonly known. He, did he really say that? 
how did this woman, very intelligent Jewish woman, how did she grow up in America and reach her latter years and not even know the, the, the most common thing Jesus said? So here in the kingdom of Babylon, he knows all about the magicians, this king, but he doesn't know, we could say, the Jesus of his day, the greatest man of God on earth in his day. It was kept from him. So anyway, she said, let Daniel now be called, and he will give the interpretation. Now, Scripture and history reveal that any kingdom or nation ripe for judgment has gone through the process of removing men of wisdom from their sight. If you, you can track history, pick anywhere. Let's pick pre-World War II Germany as the Nazis were rising. Um, they, they systematically remove from the public view any prominent man of God. They sent letters to all the Lutheran churches. The Lutheran church was the main church in the days of Nazi Germany. And as Hitler was coming to power, um, he focused on the church. He wanted the church shut down. And so he sent out an edict once he came in, uh, became the chancellor, the, the supreme leader of Nazi Germany, he sent out an edict that the churches could not preach anything other than the sermons the Nazis sent them. The Lutheran church had chosen this tact. If we will just leave this maniac alone, he'll go away. But he didn't go away. They didn't fight him. They didn't resist him. They didn't stand against him, and they were terrified of speaking out against him. And they said, if we just, if we just play dumb and, and stick our head in the sand, this maniac will go away. This bad dream will go away. No, it got worse. They received papers one day. You can't stand in the pulpit and quote a Bible. You can only speak Nazi propaganda. The story is told of a Lutheran church, true story. A Lutheran church, just before the Nazis totally took over the Lutheran churches of Germany, there was a Lutheran church that was situated near railroad tracks. And they're meeting one day, and they're, every time they met, the trains went by, but this time they heard people screaming from the train. True story. Jews in this train stuck in there like sardines in a can, crying for help. You know what they did? The leader said, sing louder, sing louder, sing louder to drown out the cries for help. And they sang louder. But the plague of Nazism didn't go away. And the, the tyrannical evil spirit that gripped that nation finally shut down the churches. Where are we? Are we going to sing louder? Or are we going to speak up? I, I don't know about you, but you're in a church that's going to speak up. I said you're in a church that's going to speak up. I'm not going to ever say to you, sing louder so we can't hear. No, we're going to speak up. But there's a whole lot of churches in America right now who are essentially, metaphorically speaking, singing louder. But it's not going to go away. Our freedoms are being threatened right now, and we need to stand up quickly. So uh, 
Daniel had been removed from their sight. In Noah's day, they didn't listen to Noah, though he preached to them for 120 years. In Lot's day, they turned away from Abraham. In Jesus' time, they rejected him. And to no one's surprise, America is now persecuting and mocking every wise, godly, prophetic voice speaking to it. Right now. I read, just yesterday, I read of a church, I I can't remember the state, I can look it up, but they have passed a law in this state where now this church cannot call homosexuality a sin without being visited by authorities and either fined or shut down. And they have now gotten the help of a Christian legal organization to fight what has happened in this state. Don't sing louder, speak up. Amen? Amen. So based on the queen's recommendation, Belshazzar calls for Daniel. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel? Are you the guy who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought before me, uh, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of you just recently. As a matter of fact, my queen just told me that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas or mysteries. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Isn't this an uncanny repeat of Daniel's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar? I could just step into Daniel's mind. Well, I've heard all this before. Been here, done that, got the T-shirt. I was there with your granddaddy. He promised me the same thing. But Belshazzar, uh, or Daniel rather, wants none of Belshazzar's rewards. And before interpreting the handwriting, Daniel takes Belshazzar on a brief trip down memory lane. And here's what he says to him. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. But O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before your granddaddy, Belshazzar. Whomever he wished, he executed. Oh, I'm reading that again, aren't I? There we go. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he said, now let me tell you what happened to your granddaddy. He got lifted up with pride He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him, Belshazzar. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like a beast, and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. Belshazzar, your granddaddy, went through hell. He came under God's judgment and chastening. And Belshazzar... You should have remembered this. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew 
that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of heaven or in the kingdom of men and appoints over the kingdom of men whomever he chooses. Now here's Belshazzar. I think he's probably coming to his senses by about now. He, the buzz is gone. He's very alert now because he's just been given a history lesson that he should have remembered all on his own. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. So can we just pause a minute and, and say to ourselves and draw an application that God expects us to remember our lessons. Can we re- he, he expects us, when we see a lesson played out in front of us where somebody was clearly judged, uh, you know, somebody really paid a price for departing from God, God expects us to, to look at that and learn and, and remember it where, where it, where it affects our behavior. In other words, let's learn from other people's mistakes so we don't have to make our own. Right? He said, you, you knew all this, Belshazzar. You knew all this. I shouldn't have to be telling you this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought you, now Daniel is telling him, here's what you did to cross the line. They brought you the vessels of his house, God's house, before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, you have drunk wine from them. You have, you have desecrated them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds, everybody read this next part with me. The God who, I've got a few of you going with me. Come on, everybody. The God who holds your breath in his hand. Stop a minute. Now say with me, I'm alive because he lets me be alive. Do you see this? God holds your breath in his hand. Now, with that in mind, how in the world can we be proud? Right? And he said, Belshazzar, you old fool. Your next breath, and you don't have many left. You don't know it yet, but you don't have many left, is in God's hand. That, this is called the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is knowing, I got up today because he let me. I'm going to go to bed tonight because he let me. If the Lord wills, we shall live, James wrote, and do this or that. Now, the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, here's the line you crossed, you didn't glorify. There's the line you crossed, you didn't glorify. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. Belshazzar says, Daniel, you have learned nothing. From those who went before you. Instead, you've walked in the same sins they did, only worse. You've desecrated the sacred things of the temple and you've worshiped false gods. Now, Daniel interprets the handwriting. We don't know what language it was written in. I, I, I checked this, I, I really searched this out. To this day, Bible scholars and commentators, no one knows what language this was written in for sure. Was it Hebrew? We don't know. We don't know. And that was one of the mysteries. No one could make it up or make it out. But it was only four words. Now Daniel says, this is the inscription that was written. Meanie, meanie, tekel, you parson. Four words. <laughs> Those fingers. Meanie, meanie, tekel, 
Carson. How long did it take him to write that? Long enough. And this is the interpretation of each word. Daniel gives the interpretation. He says, Meany, Belshazzar, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. And when God finishes you, you're finished. When he finishes a work, it's finished. You can try and make it stay alive, but, it, but if it's dead by God, it's dead. Your kingdom has been numbered and it's finished. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Everybody say, oh, me. You can't say amen because that means so be it. But we can say, oh, me. And then you parson. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Sorry, Belshazzar, party's over. And so are you. Now, Daniel has just read Belshazzar's doom. He had not taken warning from the judgments upon his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, and he had insulted God. Now, Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators, writes this. This event may well be applied to the doom of every sinner. At death, the sinner's days are numbered and finished. After death is the judgment, when he will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. Because you have no blood of Christ to cover your sin. So you're wanting. You have no advocate. You have no one to stand up for you. If you're lost and you die, and you go for the judgment bar of God, you're weighed in the balances. God will judge you for your sins, and you don't have anything on the other side to balance it out. If you had Jesus, there would be no sins to bring the balances down. But since you don't have Jesus, the balances, the sin is way down, and the balances are wanting. Okay? And after judgment, the sinner will be cut asunder and given as a prey to the devil and his angels. At the very moment these things were happening in the palace, the army of Cyrus was entering the city. <laughs> wow. Belshazzar was quickly slain. And submission to a brand new kingdom of Medes and Persians followed. Now, you remember when we started this, how Nebuchadnezzar, the grandfather of Belshazzar, had the dream of, of the image of a man. And it was divided into four parts. And you remember that uh, part of the interpretation was that after Babylon, it would be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. Now, Daniel had predicted that decades before this. Decades. Before this, Daniel, when he's interpreting Belshazzar's handwriting on the wall, is an old man. When he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he was a young man. So decades have gone by. And now Daniel's prophecy that Babylon would be taken over by another kingdom and then he named them the Medes and the Persians. Now Daniel has been allowed to live long enough to see part of his prophecy fulfilled because the Medes and the Persians came in that night and Babylon ceased to be. Likewise, every unrepentant sinner will soon find the writing of God's Word brought to pass upon his or her own life. 
Belshazzar is taken aback and overwhelmed at Daniel's words. He acts in a somewhat stunned stupor. It's kind of dumb what he does, but then Belshazzar gave the command. They clothed Daniel with purple. They put a chain of gold around his neck, and they made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That tells me Belshazzar didn't get it yet. What kingdom? How can he be the third ruler in a kingdom that's done, that's toast? So he's still kind of in a drunken stupor. He said, oh, man, wow, look what he did. He interpreted the handwriting, clothing with purple. And here's Daniel going, dude, <laughs> this is me, revised Wickwire version. Dude, you're done, and this kingdom is toast tonight. I'm not going to be third ruler at all. Now, notice Daniel, oh, I already said, but Belshazzar is apparently still in a drunken state. And here again, as in all of Daniel, we see that God is over kings and kingdoms. He's over America. He's over Russia. He's over China. He's over Singapore. He's over South Korea, wicked North Korea. He's over Israel. He's over every nation of the earth. The Bible says the nations of the world are just a drop in the bucket to God. And, and the message of Daniel, the first six chapters, and really the whole book, is that God rules in the kingdom of men. And he puts one down and brings up another. He knows the future as clearly as the present. So here's the, the fulfillment, verse 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom when he was 62 years old. In one night of debauchery and reckless sin, a king and a kingdom went away. Just like that. So you think God can't get America's attention? He can't bring the enemies of Israel to their knees? He can, and he will. Can we stand together tonight? How many of you are glad you came to church? Amen. Amen. Can we just say we serve a mighty God? We really do. We're not just worshiping some idea. Listen, it's not a fairy tale. Our God is a mighty God. He rules the nations. And His Son is about to return. Amen. So we're going to worship the Lord just for a moment. I don't know about you, but this story put the fear of God in me. Uh, amen? We need to walk in the fear of the Lord. So, Father, we just thank you tonight that you're the ruler. And we have these historical accounts of how you moved in history. And now, Lord, we see that as you move in history then, you're going to move now. And you are moving now. And though things look chaotic in our world and in our nation, still the ultimate plan and purpose of God is taking place and being executed before our eyes. And Lord, we just thank you for your power, your might, and your glory.